The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated, means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. So imagine in your, in your mind, as I mentioned before from last, last weekend, that we just came back from St. Louis from a powerful conference which is aimed towards college-aged Catholics to fire them up for their faith, especially as they return home for college. And every morning we had Mass in the Dome, which is a huge football stadium, 22,000 young adult Catholics. It was a powerful scene. Can you imagine, so imagine in your mind's eye, a football stadium filled with 22,000 Catholic young people. And at the center of this massive humanity, guess what was there? On the center field where the St. Louis Rams used to play when they were there in St. Louis, where they would have had their emblem at, at the 50-yard line. And we built upon there which is always the central piece of every Catholic church. None other than our holy altar. I remember once in high school, a friend of mine invited me to her non-denominational church. I guess it was a friend I decided to go. She brought me into her non-denominational church as a kid. I'm 17. The moment I walked in there, and at that time, I didn't know my Catholic faith. I mean, you're a 17-year-old kid. And I remember walking in thinking, something's missing in here. It looks different than my church. And I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but what, what was missing, at least, one, at least one major aspect of what was missing, was this. An altar. 
And in the Doma back in St. Louis, what we built upon the 50-yard line was this massive altar. It was the center of, again, imagine your mind eye, the center was the altar, and 22,000 young people kneeling in adoration and in prayer. The altar is always the most, one of the most prominent pieces in any Catholic church, wherever you go to in the world. Again, why? Because the beauty of the Catholic Mass is that everything that we do here is laced with sacred scripture. And so if someone were to ask you, knowing that you go to Mass every single Sunday here at Mighty St. Mary's, hey, you Catholic, why do you have an altar at your churches? How are we to respond to that? What is the big deal about this altar? Luckily, we have this gospel today. And it's a very famous gospel. But it's famous because one of the lines here, as mass-going Catholics, we should all recognize. Because we hear this phrase that St. John the Baptist said when he sees Jesus for the, for, for the first time. And he sees him and he yells out a phrase, which we all repeat right before we do one of the most sacred things as Catholics. Right before we receive Holy Communion. The priest will kneel, and you're, you're all kneeling there. And in a, in a very reverential way, the priest kneels, and he holds the Lord, and he shows you, and the priest will repeat this phrase, which has echoed for the last 2,000 years at every single Catholic Mass, the phrase of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. What does that even mean? To honor to penetrate this profound mystery, because that phrase in and of itself is dense with power and meaning. And only when we penetrate the depths of our scriptures can we understand what that phrase even means. Because oftentimes when you ask people, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? If you were to ask a random person on the street that question, you'd probably hear a response, oh, he's, he's a lamb because Jesus is nice. Gentle like a lamb. No. That has nothing to do with how nice Jesus is. We must harken back. This is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Notice this now. This is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And we hear that, I mean, wait, what's, what's happening here? So essentially what God is commanding in Leviticus 16.11 is that the Jews would have to take a, an animal, here in this case, a bull, a goat, a lamb. And this animal represented my sins. All of my transgressions and all my faults that I've done in my life. I place my sin upon this animal. 
And then I would bring it to the priest, the Jewish priest, and the priest would slaughter that animal upon an altar. If we go back all the way to ancient Jerusalem at the time of, of our Lord, 2,000 years ago, think of now the mighty temple in Jerusalem. There would have been the Holy of Holies where the Ten Commandments were kept, which was the most sacred place for the Jewish people. And in the Holy of Holies, directly in front of it, would have, they, they amassed a huge altar. And day and night, Jews from all over the empire would come to Jerusalem. They would go there because they realized that they were sinners. Then they would take this animal, place it upon the altar, and the animal would be sacrificed because of their sins. Day and night, animal sacrifices were happening all throughout. It said that before you even saw Jerusalem, because you imagine yourself, because Jerusalem, the part of the world, it's, it's a hilly place. And so if you can imagine yourself walking to Jerusalem, before you even saw the skyline of Jerusalem, it is said that you smelled Jerusalem first. Because if you imagine, how many animals would be sacrificed in a single day? Thousands. And they would burn the bodies of the, of the carcasses. Jerusalem, you can say, was more like a slaughterhouse. Day and night, all these animal sacrifices were taking place. So as modern people, this is completely bizarre to us, and rightly so. Because now if you're wondering, hmm, what did that animal, completely innocent, have to do with my sins? Because this animal is completely innocent, isn't it? This animal did absolutely nothing. But we hearken back all the way back to Genesis during the fall of Adam and Eve. You'll notice a pattern beginning to emerge. So in Genesis chapter 4 and 5, when Adam and Eve fell, the moment that Adam and Eve rebel, immediately following their sin, animals had to die. So there's an immediate connection between sin and blood. I know all this is all happy conversation at 8 in the morning, isn't it? No? Before we had our coffee. <laughs> but immediately after Adam and Eve fall, there's the, the sin. And when they sin, they immediately killed an animal. In order, it said that in Genesis, that in order to cover themselves. So there's a connection. Sin and the death of an animal and blood. There's that immediate connection. And so God had commanded Jewish people to offer sacrifices of animals as a sign of what they did. Now here's all of that background. So when we think of an altar, our minds as Christians immediately should think, animal sacrifice upon the altar. They even... God commanded them to have grooves on the altar in order to capture the fluids that would flow from the animal. I know this is all very graphic, but I have to lay out the background to the gospel. It's a visceral altar 
what happened at every single day in front of in that holy temple in Jerusalem. But if now you're wondering, that animal had absolutely nothing to do with my sins. And you are right. Now enter John the Baptist. John was standing there with two of his disciples and he watched Jesus walk by. And then he repeats, Behold the Lamb of God. They were so stunned at the phrase of John the Baptist that two of the disciples of John left John and began to follow Jesus. Because in that phrase, John the Baptist immediately understood the implications of Jesus. That all of the sacrifices of the animals, and by this point we're talking millions of animals that were killed in the centuries of the Jewish people. All of those animal sacrifices now pointed to the culmination of the true sacrifice, the true animal, the Lamb of God. Because Jesus now, in him of himself, would now become, in him, the altar. Jesus is the altar, the sacrificial victim, and now the priest, all in one. Because if you think about it, in the Jewish temple, all three were separate. You had the altar, you had the lamb, and then you had the priest doing the sacrifice. All three separate. But now in Jesus, it all culminated in him. All of those animal sacrifices did nothing to take away the guilt of the Jewish people. It can't. What does a lamb have to do? If I kill a lamb, what's the point of that? My, my sin still exists. But it was all preparing the Jewish people for the final sacrifice. Jesus is the lamb. When our Lord was sacrificed upon Calvary, all of the sins were washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it is that same sacrifice that happened on Calvary that is made, presented at every single Mass right here. This is why in all of our Catholic churches throughout the world for the last 2,000 years, why our ancestors died for this teaching. When the Roman emperors told us, stop going to Mass, when they tried to close down our churches in communism, wherever communism touches, they always try to close down our churches. Why, the, why our enemies always try to stop the Mass? It is because upon this altar, Jesus Christ is made present to us and the same sacrifice we now embrace. Altar, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, now given to us.